Welcome to the Ho Podcast, otherwise known as Heaven on Earth. We're your Ho hosts, Ellie, Clancy, Lauren, and Katie. And in this episode, we're going to be discussing the hierarchy of privilege within sex work, specifically focusing on how one's identity contributes to the stigmatization they face as a sex worker. So grab your coffee and get excited for 15 minutes of Heaven on Earth. The Sex Workers in Europe Manifesto states, We recognize stigma as being the commonality that links all of us sex workers, forming us into a community of interest, despite the enormous diversity in our realities, at work, and in our lives. We have come together to confront and challenge the stigma and the injustices it leads to. So it was evident throughout all of our visits that stigma was the one thing that united every current and former participant in sex work. Um, Coming into this trip, we were really curious about how this stigma might differ based on one's different identities. In the U.S., there's been a lot of conversation surrounding violence against Black trans sex workers, and this conversation is centered around the idea of intersectionality and how one's minority identities um, can make them more susceptible to violence and stigma. So we wondered if this stigma is less prevalent in the Netherlands because sex work is legal. Um, So in other words, does this legality of the work lessen the stigma? And to answer the question, we focused on what social perceptions there seem to be about sex workers of different migration status, race, ethnic origin, gender, sexuality, and age. We wanted to have an understanding of different social identities in the Netherlands and the historical context that affects Dutch culture. Although many think of Spain and Portugal as leaders of early European colonization, the Netherlands is actually one of Europe's earliest empire builders. Um, It has a 500 plus year history of colonization, starting the 1400s with the colonization of Africa. Dutch colonies spread throughout the world after this, reaching Latin America, Asia, and even North America. And this colonization, like all European colonization, was mostly driven by trade, plantations, and the exploitation of indigenous people and African people. So immigration is now partly driven by um, these colonial ties, with many immigrants hailing from former colonies such as South Africa, Brazil, Suriname, and China. And further immigration has occurred between Eastern Europe and the Netherlands, although this is not so much caused by Dutch colonial influence as it is by economic opportunity. And immigrants from all these places make up a large portion of the sex worker population. We wondered how these differing ethnic identities and other social identities and their associated privileges or stigmatizations are at play within the sex work industry. So within the sex work industry, there is a hierarchy of privilege among the workers. One prevalent aspect of this is the money hierarchy, where the more money a sex worker makes, the higher the status they have. So race and migration status both have a major role in this hierarchy. Um, and that they can raise or lower the status of a sex worker. In our visit with Dr. Marie-Louise Jansen at the University of Amsterdam, talking about sex and stigma, Dr. Jansen talked about how escorts and sugar babies are more towards the top of the hierarchy and they face less stigma. Their jobs tend to be more glorified than the street and window workers in the red light district who are seen as more towards the bottom of the hierarchy and face the most social stigmatization. These window workers are so publicly selling themselves in the middle of the city and oftentimes are humiliated by tourists. 
Although in most cases, sex workers of all statuses tend to keep their work in the industry hidden, it is a separate part of their lives that they do not necessarily want to be public or interfere with their personal or professional lives due to the stigma and judgment they could be subjected to, despite the fact that it's legal in the Netherlands. So sugar babies have high levels of privilege. Um, Mostly students are sugar babies, and this isn't just in the Netherlands, that's kind of a common theme everywhere, and a lot of them could get money help from their parents if they need it, so they don't really rely on money from sex work, um, which means that they can exit the industry if they want to. There's also less stigma attached to being a sugar baby, because a lot of people don't even imagine sugar babies as having sex with clients. Like, they just have to hang out with them, make them feel special, get dinner with them. Although this is often not true, that's what people think. So to say you're a sugar baby, there's less stigma attached to that. So they're higher up in the hierarchy of privilege or the hierarchy. And I think it's really interesting to note that um, when we first asked um, Dr. Jansen about this, um, she noted that it is a hierarchy of money, but then the more and more we looked at it and delved into it, it became very clear that it is a privilege to be at the top of the hierarchy because to work in a club, um, like Felicia noted, you do need to have that legal residency. So in order to make the most money as a sex worker, there are certain like privileged identities you need to have. And being a migrant sex worker um, just kind of naturally puts you at the bottom of the hierarchy because you can't get the higher paying jobs. Um, and it was interesting because when we asked her, you know, how does racism play within this hierarchy. She was very quick um, to answer how racism affects every part of the hierarchy. Um, But when we asked um, other former sex workers like Mark and Brenda, um, they recognized that racism is a part of society in Amsterdam, but they weren't sure how racism specifically impacts the sex worker community. And I think that just goes to show the privilege they have within sex work being white sex workers because they were aware that it probably does impact their other former sex worker colleagues but they weren't sure exactly how whereas um our speaker was very aware of how it was impacting because she directly was working with those migrant sex workers um yeah yeah and i mean i thought it was interesting um when we asked um brenda about like how does racism affect sex workers? Um, she was just kind of like, oh, well, you know, they self-segregate because they can all speak the same language. When mm. I was kind of just wondering today, actually, like, how did Brenda even know that her specific, like, line of work within sex work was an option? Like, the fact that having sex with disabled people is something she could do. Like, a lot of sex workers, I'm guessing, who come from another country and can't speak English very well and have to deal with racist Dutch society. Like, if window working is what they know exists, that's what they're going to do. They likely Mm -hmm. don't even know there are other options. And, I mean, that's not self-segregation. That's just limiting of opportunities and not being able to communicate with people or dealing with people who don't want to communicate with you because you're not white and you can't speak, like, perfect Dutch. Right, and even Mark wasn't aware that Bonton was an establishment, and even though he is English-speaking, like... Mm -hmm. I feel like he and his experiences and not being like a legal resident for so long, like mm-hmm. he lacked that understanding too. Like it almost is like gatekeeping certain information. Yeah. Yeah. And Brenda also talked about how 
Another difference between escorts and window workers is that escorts really need to be able to speak English very well, so that's mm-hmm. not always an option for um, migrants who come over and want to make money through sex work. Um, they don't often have the um, means to acquire those language skills, whereas um, if you work in the window, you don't necessarily need to have um, perfect English. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she gave us a very specific example of um, talking via email with um, a Latin American woman looking for sex work, um, and Brenda had a hard time understanding what she was trying to say mm-hmm. due to her choppy English, um, and Brenda <coughs> directly told her that her English does need to get better first before she can work, um, which goes to show that one kind of does need English to be a sex worker, um, and if it's pretty limited, you're very stuck within window working, and it's hard to move up that ladder. Mm-hmm. And then off of that, Felicia, who um, used to be a sex worker at the Bonton Strip Club, she also talked a lot about how <clears throat> sex workers and escorts are always sort of of a much higher status than any other sex workers, specifically window workers. She talked about how sex workers in these clubs have to dress more um, conservatively and less ratchet, as she put it. Um, and that these sex workers in the clubs also have a lot more advantages. They have security, they have someone to clean the rooms for them, they can order room service, and at these clubs, men are often looking for a more high-end and intimate experience, and these um, privileges and stigmas that are attached to escorts versus window workers also carry out to um, say something about the... um, their race and ethnicity because it's usually the people with more privilege who have access to um the skills and the language skills to Mm -hmm. work in the clubs and just to be able to carry on conversations with these men who are like very educated have like well-paying jobs like that's beyond english that's like you have to either have grown up a certain way or um just maybe be educated yourself you have to have a certain knowledge background to be able to give someone the girlfriend experience and Mm. a lot of people who immigrate from different countries like they don't have that ability yeah um and also just going back to like the fact that she said the word ratchet like that's Mm. such a racialized term yeah yeah um i thought that was so interesting and i mean we were talking about the way that like um a lot of the window workers and stuff like they have, like, a lot of cosmetic work done, and, like, they have to, like, dress, like, a very specific way, and, you know, you have, like, a lot of, like, migrant sex workers who are having to, like, change their bodies, um, permanently in order to make money, and, like, what if they want to one day move on to work in, like, a luxury club? They can't, because they have these huge fake boobs that are instantly gonna make them look ratchet, Mm. so, like, it's just, like, you're stuck, Um, and it's privileged people who are bearing the brunt of these really costly, oftentimes dangerous cosmetic surgeries. Mm. Absolutely. And that makes me think of how um, some people are forced to use um, their race and racial stereotypes against them for their own profit. Mm -hmm. So the second theme we observed here uh, was how sex workers use these racial stereotypes and societal stigmatizations to their advantage to maximize their profit. So um, we learned that from some of the speakers that stigmatized workers um, can and do actually use fetishizations related to their identity to make more money. 
So Dr. Jansen um, talked to me after class about how she has spoken with some sex workers who use racism to their advantage. So like if a client wants like the feisty Latina sex worker can give them that or like the sassy black woman. And we noticed this also throughout the um, show at Casa Rosso. The Latina woman um, danced to Latin pop and the black couple break danced during sex. And that wasn't something that we noticed with like some of the white performers or more racially ambiguous performers. Um, we also heard the story from Felicia about how a client asked for a specifically transgender sex worker and the transgender sex workers are kind of in this situation where some of them have to use this identity for profit instead of just being like, I'm a woman sex worker or I'm a male sex worker. They have to capitalize on the fact that they have transitioned from one gender mm -hmm. to another. And lastly, um, Jen of Blue Artichoke Films told us of the situation with Bishop, who is a, bi a bisexual black sex worker, where a crew member said, we should dress him more black for um, a film. Yeah, and I think it's just really interesting to think about it because, like, when viewing how these sex workers use stereotypes to their advantage, it just makes me wonder, like, is it bad to do this? Because on one hand they're taking advantage of a system that has perpetually failed them and they're like using this failure for their own profit. So in a sense, it's very empowering. They're taking agency in one's own life and like using it to profit them. But on the other hand, in promoting these stereotypes, are they themselves perpetuating harmful racial stereotypes and in turn being the fuel that keeps these stereotypes alive? Um, and is this perpetuating a sex work hierarchy? And I think there's no exact right answer, but it's very interesting to think about in general. Going into this trip, we thought that these social dynamics and privileges would be more clear and more discussed by our speakers in, in the visits that we had. However, a lot of speakers didn't know much about them or denied that these issues even existed. But as Mark said, the Netherlands pretends not to be a racist society. They pride themselves on being very liberal due to their pro progressive legal policies. It seems that just like everywhere else, the Netherlands has a lot of work to do, especially within the sex work community. The first step is just recognizing it. This was the Heaven on Earth podcast. Thanks for t tuning in with your fellow hoes. Bye. Bye.